Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. Coming up on this special holiday edition of Forum, two author interviews from our archives. First, we'll listen back to my 2002 conversation with famed poet and author and civil rights activist Maya Angelou, who died in 2014. We talked about A Song Flung Up to Heaven, the sixth book and her series of autobiographies. Then, author Louise Erdrich on her National Book Award-winning novel, The Roundhouse. I spoke with her in 2012. That's all next on Forum. And remember, since this is a previously recorded hour, we won't be taking your live calls and emails. Join us after this. This is Michael Krasny. In the special pre-recorded holiday edition hour of Forum, we're going to listen back to my 2002 interview with famed poet and author and civil rights activist Maya Angelou, who died in 2014. We talked about her book, A Song Flung Up to Heaven, the sixth book in her series of autobiographies, which started with I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. I started by asking her about her relationship with the writer James Baldwin. We were... Um pretty well known to be a brother and sister act i could i knew you were close but i didn't realize that he had a relationship to the actually to the autobiography yes indeed and and so did kqed interestingly enough because i came out here to write to write and 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 uh, produce a 10 one-hour programs a series called blacks blues black which premiered in 1968 in San Francisco and all over the country. And uh, it was here that, uh, I mean, I was here when I was asked to write an autobiography. And I said, no, I wouldn't. And I was asked again and again by my editor at Random House. I said, no. And I'm sure he spoke to James Baldwin and told James how to get me to do it. I had told him I'm a playwright and a poet, and I'll be glad to talk to him about poetry 
publishing some poetry. He didn't seem very interested. <laughs> but when he called the last time, he said, Miss Angelo, I think it's probably just as well that you don't attempt to do an autobiography because to write memoir as literature is almost impossible. He's right. I, I said, well, uh, um, I think I'll try it then. So I'm convinced that Jimmy Baldwin told him, if you want Maya Angelou to do something, tell her she can't do it. And unfortunately or fortunately, that was 30-some years ago, 34 years ago. And I am still tempted to move when that button is pushed. I'd like to be more, you know, sort of Zen Buddhist about it and say, I do not, you know, jump when you punch that button. But I'm at 74 years old. I still feel myself jumping like a fire dog, you know, when he hears the the siren go off. Rebellion. Uh, I mean, you know, tell you you can't do something and yet you can. And ironically, in light of that, here in this in this new autobiographical work, A Song Flung Up to Heaven, you have um, this uh, man who you meet in Ghana who um, kind of orders you around like a puppy dog. I, I mean, <laughs> that was a tough thing to, it, to believe. And read. Maya Angelou being told to fetch? <laughs> yes, I know. I told him that fetch is a very bad word in American English, <laughs> especially with African-Americans. But that sense of you eating food because he liked it yeah, and not eating the food that you wanted and so forth. Just hard, hard to, I mean, knowing your character and knowing the kind of strength of will that you have. Well, I, I, you don't, one isn't born with that, you know. <laughs> you grow into it and sort of develop it and it develops you. But I wasn't always, uh, you know, so opinionated. I've had some opinions. But, you know, I was a woman of my time. And so this was in the early 60s, and I was living in Ghana. He was a powerful man, and I was desperately in love with him. And so if I said I wanted ham, just because he wanted to be perverse, he'd say, I want lamb. <laughs> I want chicken. He'd say, Get, make me duck. Uh, he was just, he had a perversity. He was really trying to wear me down. And uh, but each time I I uh, conceded, I found I liked him less. I liked him less. I didn't like myself anymore, but I did like him less. And finally, the bedroom used to be uh, you know a place I delighted in being with him. But when I'd say I want to sit up and read, and he'd say come to bed, or I'd say I want to go with over and visit friends, he'd say, I want to be alone, but with you. I found each time the bedroom gave me less and less pleasure. <laughs> and he also wanted your life to be like Rock Hudson and Doris Day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we saw a movie with Rock Hudson. He came to the States after I had left him. He came, he said, I have come to reclaim my treasures. And so... Uh, we uh, we went to a movie. <laughs> we saw Rock Hudson and Doris Day and Pillow Talk, or one of those. And he asked me, "Why can't we be more like them?" So I said, "What do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about?" He said, "Why can't we, you and I, 
So I said, but those are two actors. And they, they're repeat, repeating words written for them. He said, "We, I want us to be like them. So I said, you want me to be a perky little blonde who sings? You got your, another thought coming. So, so of course, mm, it was it was terrible for me though. I can laugh now, and I'm sure I laughed then just to keep from crying. Well, you've got a good deal of distance from it now, but yet you said I read in an interview that this was the hardest book for you to write. It was because of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Yes, and, yeah, yes, and because of that love affair uh, going, you know, belly up, and and because of Watts I mean, and Watts, also, the know. Watts uprising was just. Incredible to to be a part of and apart from because I went there. I mean, I was in Los Angeles. And the second day or so, I just couldn't stand it any longer. So I drove my car near and I walked through the streets and nobody put me in jail. But they put other people in jail um, who were doing no more than I, you know, who didn't have loot and, and weren't running. Um, but it gave, it's as if I was in a balloon. I'm thinking back on it now. And nobody really spoke to me, say one little boy who wanted to offer me something, a radio he'd stolen. Um, but usually they just, they avoided me. And it may have been so I could record all that and write it down. It may have been faded, huh? May have been. There's also a scene in this um, new autobiographical work where you're with a rather reckless guy. You wind up on a railroad track uh, and uh, almost lose your life. Uh, in fact, uh, you were, as you've always written openly about things that it can be embarrassing. I mean, you wind up peeing in your pants, yeah. but also um, losing your voice again, which takes us right back to Cagebird. Yeah. So frightening. People who take risks with their own lives are so terrifying. I mean, the the um, the suicide bombers, the the kamikaze pilots. I, I you think he was like that? In a, he well, was he just a daredevil he would, kind of. Thing. He was a daredevil yeah. who really wouldn't have minded too much losing his life. Yeah, uh, if he could get a a laugh out of it. And he did pull away, just uh, pulled across the, the tracks, just in time. I mean, we could see just out of the window the uh, the train going by. Um, but I learned a lesson then from him. He had told me who he was when I first met him. <clears throat> He'd used that the racial pejorative. He was black. And I said, oh, you're better than that. He said, no, I'm not. I am a, and he said who he was, and I'm a mean, crazy one of them. The N-word, as we know. Yes, yes. So I said, oh, you're better than, oh, no, please. But then I learned something which just stood me in great stead ever since. When people tell you who they are, believe them. They know themselves better than you do. Just after that, a woman I knew in New York told me, I'm selfish. I said, don't say that about yourself. You're better than that. Within weeks, 
I learned she's exactly what she said she was. They not only know themselves, but they give you fair warning. Yes, indeed. In many cases. <laughs> the, um, the portraits we get in here of the, the, the emotional attachment and love that you have for both Malcolm X and Martin Luther King are really pretty stirring and moving. And I was reminded, in fact, um, Malcolm X comes, the, the letter that you printed uh, was, was very revealing to me because he comes out of such a warm, generous human yes, being. Right. And he, um, and yet your mother said, don't hang around with that rabble yes, rouser, yes, right? Yes, yes. But my mom was from a different time, too. I mean, she said, if you're going to go to work making no money at all, go back to work for Martin Luther King. If oh, we should mention that, that Malcolm actually invited you to work with him. That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, but my mom said she had read that I was coming back to work with my, Malcolm X. She said, if you're going to do that kind of work where you make no money, then you may as well go back to Martin Luther King at least. He's trying to do something for the people. But Malcolm X is a rabble-rouser. Well, oh, I've started to, you know, defend him. But my brother was in the car. And my brother was everything to me. And he put his hand on my arm and just wagged his head, no. So I didn't say anything. Don't even respond. Don't even respond. I wasn't going to be able to change her mind about him, so but I was going to work for him anyway. But after he was killed, my mother said, my dear, I didn't agree with him, but no one should be shot down like a dog. And I know he was your friend, and I give you my sympathy. She was a grand lady. You're listening to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we're listening back to my 2002 interview with the late poet, author, and activist Maya Angelou about her book, A Song Flung Up to Heaven. It was the sixth book in her series of autobiographies, which started with I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. For more shows from our archives, visit kqed.org forum, and stay with us, and Happy New Year. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. What do you say uh, after all these years about what was the obvious kind of division between those two men in terms of tactics and thinking? I remember Spike Lee ended his film, Do the Right Thing, and you know there was a speech from Malcolm X and there was a speech from Martin Luther King, and it was sort of like, take your choice, because one way suggested perhaps any means necessary, and the other way suggested civil disobedience. Yeah. How, do well, you, how do you see these? Now? Well, I do see them as t what 
two sides of one coin. And Malcolm X used to say to America at large, you'd better listen to Martin Luther King. If you don't, you'll have to come by me. So it was a wonderful vice to be in, and people rushed to support Dr. King. Um, I loved them both, and for the same reasons. They were both very intelligent, very brave, very funny, great senses of humor. They because uh, you you associate Malcolm with a sense of absolutely. humor, but not so much Dr. King. Oh no, I mean, he did have a really oh, great sense of humor, didn't he? Wonderful sense Remember of Andy humor. Andy Young's book, he was talking about him like he could be a stand-up comic. I, exactly, he was so funny. Um, he told stories. He had a story for every situation. So if we'd been out, he'd been fundraising, or, and he had some incident had occurred. He on the in the car on the way back, he would tell a story that he may have heard in his childhood. Did you know about the time the man or the... And you just sat back because you knew you'd be hooting and howling in laughter. But Malcolm was like that. And then both men loved their families. They loved them. No matter what masculine stories are told, they loved their wives and their children. And um, both men loved the idea of freedom, liberty, fair play, justice. I mean, loved it the way people love art and the way people love physical Closeness. And yet one has strongly been identified with violence and one with nonviolence. Yes. And that continues, certainly. Yes, it does. I, but, you know, Malcolm said after his, on his first visit to Ghana, after he'd been in Mecca, he said that he had met blue-eyed, blonde-haired men who he could call brother. So, he, he said, that means that not all whites are blue-eyed devils. Now, it it took a great deal of courage to say that in 1963. Especially given the fact that he had learned from Elijah Muhammad the gospel about blue-eyed devils and all that. Exactly, and because he had himself said it. It takes courage for a person to say to, to the world at large or to a group or to one's own self, probably, Say, you remember last week all that I said and all before that? Well, I now don't believe that to be true. I now have found something else to be true. It takes courage. This is why quite often when women change their minds, some men, because they know that that they wouldn't have the courage to do that, belittle them and say, oh, well, a woman always has the right to change her mind. Well, everybody does. Except politicians, of course, who are uh, called wishy-washy well, or waffling when they do. That's and it. They, what would you think Malcolm X's attitude would have been about Islamic fundamentalism as we see it now in some Ooh. of its more extreme forms like I, September 11th? I dare not speculate. I, I, don't, I don't trust myself for that. Um, I dare not. I think that Malcolm and Martin were so 
focused on liberation, on fair play, that um, they would be searching after. I believe they would both be searching after justice, seeking justice, because in every religious tract, whether it's the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, Bhagavad Gita, uh, we are told to seek justice, seek balance. What what I know I'm afraid of is when my fellow citizens begin to lust for revenge. That frightens me because it means that we then become as low as the adversary and maybe lower. Um, that alarms me. Talking with Maya Angelou, her new book is A Song Flung Up to Heaven. What did you think about Toni Morrison's remark? I was remembering, as I always remember, with um, emotion, the um, poem that you read at the inauguration in Washington, the first uh, administration, the first Clinton administration. What did you think about Toni Morrison's remark that Bill Clinton was our first black president? <laughs> I laughed so She's so innovative. She's so creative and and has good insight. Well, I mean, I know why she said it. First, because he was accessible. He uh, he loved to laugh. And uh, he was pretty fierce. And uh, because he loved, I mean, he brought black people into the, into his secretariat into his uh, cabinet. Um, when I read that, I did laugh so heartily. And I, I think she came close. Did you have a friendship with Clinton? Or with the Clintons? Well, I have a kind of friendship. We are friends. I mean, I'm in his camp, decidedly. I don't socialize with them. Um, I've gone to the White House and and gone to dinners and that. But um, I didn't. We don't socialize. Got an email earlier this morning from someone who said, saw Maya Angelou in a recent TV interview, and she said that she had written good books, but she believed she had a great book in her. <laughs> and this is Susan who writes to us and says, we had a whole discussion in a book group about this. What makes for a great book? And we wanted to find out from Maya Angelou what makes for a oh, great thank book. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for the email, and especially thank you for being a part of a reading group. It means so much to the world. Um, I suppose the the reader can only tell. The writer can never tell, or Anyway, I could never tell. I have read some great books which which have informed me and formed me. Um, I learned as a young person to um, to think of that there were whites in the world who were not all cruel and and mean because I read Charles Dickens. And, uh, I mean, in in a little village in the south, smaller than this studio. Arkansas. Know. That's right. Stamps, Stamps Arkansas. Arkansas. 
I learned um, uh, about so many peoples in the world because I read Pearl Buck and um, the writers of the time. I read a lot of European writers. So at least my my own narrow prejudices uh, were broken down by the books I read. Another thing that alarms me is the fact that I know why the cage bird sings. Some people have asked that my my book be banned because I wrote about rape. And unfortunately, alas, and too bad, um, sexual uh, uh, harassment continues and uh, incestual rape continues in homes where, I mean, right across the board. So children, some people have asked that my my book be banned because they want to say they have no skeletons in their closets. They want to even insist that they didn't even have closets. You know, nothing bad ever happened to them. But I wanted young men and women to know, uh, yes, you can encounter, encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter some defeats, not to be raped. I but, suppose the impulse is to shield children yes, from that. Yes, yeah. but I think that the people who ban my books do so because they've never read five pages of a book of mine. If they read ten pages, I got them. <laughs> <laughs> I love that confidence. Which, which it was, a, I think it was your second autobiographical work where you write about being a prostitute in San Francisco. That's it must a, have been difficult to write about terrible. that. And again, I suspect there are people who don't want children to read. Maya well, Angelou, this great figure, actually lived as a prostitute. That's why I called the book Gather Together in My Name, right. that all those parents could gather together in my name. I could tell them. I could tell my truth. And then the, the children could learn so that the young men and women don't get into a situation where they find themselves uh, not, uh, not approving of where they were, but not able to forgive themselves. You see? They must see, okay, I've fallen. Well, that's all right. I mean, I didn't want to fall, but I have fallen, and now I'm going to stand up. And now I'm going to get on with my business, with the business of my life. To quote Hawthorne, who you quote, by the way, it's a negative path. I that, mean, you can reach a greater sense of po- the positive by having gone through. That's quote. right. I do believe that. And um, I, I, when I was writing that book, I called my mother, my son, and my brother. And I read them this passage. And I said, if it's too hard, then I won't, I won't send it. I was living in Berkeley at the time. And my son, you know, is six four, four and a half, huge person, was stretched out on the floor. This was about nineteen seventy-two. And I was so scared. <laughs> when I finished reading about the street and what I knew about it, my mother said, Ask me, is the manuscript ready to be sent off? I'll take it to the post office. My brother said, one thing about you, baby, you have never been a liar. I love that in you. And then my son, there was like 10 seconds, I was dying, when he got up from the floor and came and sat on the sofa 
and took me in his arms and he said, you're great mother. You are great mother. And after that, I thought, well, if the people hate me for that, I can do nothing. My husband said, I'll take you to London and I'll build houses and you can take your time and write poetry. But a few months later, a president appointed me to something and I earned three more honorary doctorates and my book went on the bestseller list and a lot of young people were inspired. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. That was my 2002 interview with late poet, author, and activist Maya Angelou. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.